Welcome to the Double Unfiltered Podcast. We are your hosts, our Mary, Dr. Nafi, and Anafai Badnar. We are here to engage, educate, and hopefully empower you. Today's episode is going to be about higher education. Now, of course, we're in that season. It's September. A lot of the kids are going into college. All the acceptance letters have come in over the summer and parents are preparing themselves. Kids are nervous. Parents are nervous, especially going into college after having an entire pandemic or as we like to call it here, an entire plaza. But with us this episode, we have the incomparable Dr. Henan Juf, who is the Dean of Student Services at Los Angeles City College. And with his expertise, he's going to help us navigate all the questions that the parents have, all the questions that the students have, what to expect, what to do before you get to college, and what that experience is going to look like. So, Dr. Henan, I'd like you to please give a better introduction of yourself because I know you do so much more than what I just said. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies. Um, let me start off by saying it is my honor and pleasure to be on this podcast. I literally listen to you guys every day um, before I get to work. So you're right uh-huh. after meditation and yoga. Uh-huh. And I just want to give you your flowers. I don't think there is a space for... Um, what it is that you're doing. And I was just happy to stumble upon it about six to seven months ago. And I've, I've been an avid listener ever since. But um, thank you, our Mary. Thank you, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Nafi. And thank you, Anna, because this is very much needed. Um, that being thank said, you. who am I? Um, Dr. Henan Juf. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't consider myself a doctor and or a dean. I tell my students that every day. I was not born with either of those titles. It's something I've earned. And mm-hmm. so can they. Um, I am a fourth culture kid. I was born in one country, France, uh, to parents from two other countries, Mali and Gambia. And I live in a fourth here in the United States. And so I consider myself, you know, um, a child that has been able to pick the best out of those four and try to make it my own. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moved to the U.S. about 20 years ago uh, in Mm -hmm. search for a better uh, education Uh, back in the day, much like all of you, when we graduated high school, the options were, you know, the University of the Gambia or Mm leaving the country. And so I kind of turned around and looked at my dad, you know, a middle class uh, civil servant and said, hey, you know, I got into top schools in the U.S. And he said, well, congratulations, but, you know, we do not have $23,000 to send you to the U.S. So. <laughs> uh-huh. And so plan B for me was community college. And mm-hmm. so I said, let me go work for a few months. Uh, I moved back to France, worked for a few months, moved here on my own. And the rest is history. I'm happy I started community college, ended up doing uh, two and a half years there. Then they're finishing at a, one of the state schools, Cal State Northridge, earning mm-hmm. my bachelor's degree in both economics and political science and following it up with a master's and a doctorate in higher education leadership at the University of Southern California here. And um, yeah, I've never left LA. Lucky for me, I feel like LA is the the halfway between everything else that I want, sun, sand, beach, mm-hmm. desert. Uh-huh. Um, I really don't have to leave. So unfortunately for most of my friends on the East Coast, I don't get to see them often. So that's the <laughs> short version of who I am and how I got to where I am. Amazing. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Hanan. And thank you so much for being an avid listener. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pleasure meeting you um, as well. And um, you said something that um, really just was like, oh, that's kind of like me that I never put it into 
um, you know, I guess if you think about like born in one country, you know, was raised in a different country, then ended mm-hmm. up in another country and now in a whole nother country again. <laughs> and so like, yeah, you just never put those things into perspective. So I guess we have something in common. <laughs> we have a lot. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this and then go back to the higher education conversation. Sure. But this is exactly why your podcast is so um, pertinent to what we're doing today. So I can be on my walk to to work or school and I'm sitting there, you're talking about, you know, uh, female reproductive systems, you're talking yeah. about healthcare in, the, in Gambia, you're talking about yeah. educational systems, you're talking about, and I sit there and I might agree with one of your, one of you, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm cringing because I don't necessarily agree with uh, one mm-hmm. of the others. And then mm-hmm. our and then our comes in and says exactly what I was thinking, and I'm like, thank you very much for speaking for me. And it's just, and I think that is exactly what we need. You know, when you think about yes. the red t- the red table talk or some of the other ones that are mm-hmm. super yeah. important, that's exactly what you're balancing each other out from the different perspectives. And I can right. tell you, the the moment that I was hooked on your show was when one of you was, t- and I want to say it was Anna was talking about an experience about their mom being from Kenya and just yeah, like yeah. The, the experience Tanzania yeah. I'm sorry uh-huh. my mom is from uh-huh. Mali and I had never thought of my mom's experience living in the Gambia and being considered more of a Gambian than I am now and I started yeah, and I'm like yeah. oh my god this is it so it was yeah. my aha moment I'll stop it a bit here we can talk about that some other oh, day oh that's but, amazing yes, that's we, awesome. we have a I lot we have a lot in common. That's awesome. I love that. Wow. I love Thank that. you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Henan. And I hope a lot of our listeners also feel like, you know, they're able to connect with at least one of us, right? And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, as 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 they like to call me, more of the radical one. So I I definitely <laughs> make the statements that are that can be cringeworthy, and uh, <laughs> so I'm glad I have the balance of our Mary and Dr. Nafi to kind of bring you back on course. But um, to get back on topic. As the Dean of Students, I know you're responsible for the coordination of student-related programs. So mm-hmm. I wanted if you, you could just share with us, what are some of those programs that you have at your, your, at your Los Angeles College that help students, especially some of us third world um, students who are flying in for the first time. So there's the culture shock, right? Mm-hmm. Of coming from a third world African country to now all of a sudden you've landed in, in the United States of America, like it could be such a jarring experience from just seeing traffic lights and four lanes, right? Like mm. things that people <laughs> take for granted. Anna. Listen, Anna. we have one traffic light that we actually <laughs> no, call traffic lights, okay? <laughs> we don't have four lanes, not to speak of like, you know, the different fast foods and the yeah. different, you know, yeah. people. So yeah. what programs do you have in place at your school, Henan, that you think are beneficial to students who are coming in like as yourself you did a couple years ago um you know as a as a third world african child sure um and and i'll start by saying we're saying this is uh, beneficial to our uh, first uh, generation student that comes directly from africa but actually mm-hmm. Our students that are born and raised here also have that mm-hmm. culture shock. So don't mm-hmm. think that they, it, we talk about imposter syndrome. This is where it lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we have I have students that live born and raised in LA, and on the first day on a college campus, have no clue what they need to do next. And so that's why we build them. And so I want our African kids to feel at home and understand that their fears are the same as everybody else that they're walking into the class on the first day with. Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about um, outreach programs, so we start from the very beginning of say, okay, how do we educate you about the options that exist at the college? 
about how you need to fit in on that college. And by fitting in, it's about finding people like you, that think like you, that want to study like you, that want to end up in a career like you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about where you're going to live. Um, I can tell you when I was graduating, you know, transferring from my community college to a four-year school, I got into some of my top schools and just realizing what area of the country they were in, I said, no, thank you. It's too cold. No, thank mm-hmm. you. There's not enough ethnic food around. So mm-hmm. making those educated decisions. So some of those programs that we build are first-year experience programs which will basically give you not only a counselor that works with you, a peer mentor that works with you, a faculty mentor that will work with you. And the reason why I pointed to those three is each one of them has a different role. You know, so the, the, the faculty mentor is really looking to hone into what academically you want to do career-wise. The peer mm-hmm. mentor is someone that's more of your age that's going to talk to you about, okay, this is the part of town you want to go to or not. Here's where you buy your books online so they're cheaper versus your the social person that is more of okay now how do I get you involved in the clubs and organizations and other things that we may think are just fun but really they're building your network so that 10 years down the line those are the people you're calling about jobs about opportunities etc that's just one so that's your first year experience program we Mm -hmm. then it runs the gamut of counseling services and when I say counseling it's both academic and social so academic in terms of saying what's your two-year plan to get to your AA degree What's your four-year plan to get to your BA, your BS degree? What may be your six or eight-year plan to get to a doctorate? So starting to create that roadmap for you, which it's fine to deviate from, but at least having that plan so you know what your, what your resources you need to bring in to make you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, then the social aspects of it is there's a lot of anxiety of you know starting something new, period. Okay. And in this case, it's education. In this case, it may come with you being... Um, if you are from China, you're the only child for, for three generations and everybody's hopes are on your back. But mm-hmm. I say China, but honestly, some of those uh, pressures exist for African kids as well. You know, mm-hmm. so we are the breadwinners and somebody has sacrificed to make sure that you are finally here. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, we, we smile now and think that it's any different from 40 years ago. But there are certain kids that are showing up with a suitcase and it's the best of the best that they were able to send them here. And Mm -hmm. so they have all of that writing on every single grade that they earn. And so we want to take care of them to make them feel like it's fine to feel pressure. It's Mm -hmm. fine to figure out how to deal with that pressure. And it's fine to actually talk to people about it because that's just not something we do in Africa. You Mm -hmm. know, seeking out help is Mm -hmm. not, we don't have positive health seeking. Um. Moving on, then we start looking at programs that are related to building your self-esteem in in our clubs and cultural organizations, figuring out what your identity is. What do you identify as? I I remember my sociology teacher asking me, who are you? And I'm like, what do you want to know? You know, like I was born in one place. I I have three passports. I speak four languages. (laughs) I don't consider myself an American. Mm. Until I got citizenship, that was not it. And so when you look at a kid, that's the same question. Who are they? And 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 that's not even dealing with uh, sexual identity. It's not mm-hmm. dealing with religion. It's not mm-hmm. so helping them figure out who they are so that when they step off that college campus, when they get that degree, they're getting more than that degree. They're getting they're walking away knowing themselves and being able to be a productive member of society and humanity as a whole. Um, that would be the buckets of the programs that I think that any student, whether they go to a, because they're forced, well, at least in California, they're 
three systems of education. You know, there's the community college system, there's the state schools, and then there's the um, university schools, which is pretty much the same across the the, the, um, the United States. Mm-hmm. And each one of them has a different purpose. So, you know, your community colleges are open to everyone. You mm-hmm. can come with whatever GPA and we'll accept you. So mm-hmm. you're equalizing and making sure that education is available to everyone. Mm-hmm. You have your state schools, which were set up to make sure that people could do practical jobs so nursing teaching um engineering you it's where they send people that were going to be the doers Mm -hmm. then you have the research school is where we're going to send people that will send somebody to the moon is where we're going to send people that are going to find the cure for alzheimer's it's where we're going to send people that are going to do the research that will end up becoming you know the next you know you name it so they all have their purpose. There's not one that's better than the other. You just need to know what it is you're looking for and then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, align it to you. So um, I think I've said a lot here. Maybe there's a mm-hmm. follow-up question to this. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. much to unpack. You definitely touched on so much. Uh, Dr. Nafi, I'll let you go ahead. Um, I, I, I appreciate that you actually gave us a, a background on on this, especially community colleges, because Growing up, I would say when I was living in Michigan, um, Mm -hmm. people always saw community colleges as, uh, oh, you know, like not so much as, oh, I don't want to go to a community college. So I'm I'm glad that you're here today to shed some light on it, because I think that it's a great idea for a lot of students, upcoming students, right, to Mm -hmm. maybe start at a community college, save some money and then transfer because so many of us growing up see it as, oh, I don't want to go to a community college. I want to go to a university. I I have this happen to a close family of mine where my cousin, she um, got uh, accepted in a four-year university and she got accepted in a community college. But she didn't want to go to a community college because she saw that as a less than kind of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so she decided to go to the four year college, which cost literally three, four times more. Mm -hmm. And what happened was the um, scholarships she got from high school, she burned through them in her first semester of the four year university. And she had to stop going there because she no longer can afford it and Mm -hmm. step back and went to a community college instead. So I I think a lot of people make that mistake of, oh, I have to go to a four-year school. I have to go to a university. And and the fact is you don't have to, you know, and I I, I said that to my nephew who was, uh, who graduated two years ago. He graduated at 16 and he got into a four-year university, but my sister was not about to let a 16-year-old go on campus and live there. And <laughs> that's the African side of motherness. So mm-hmm. she, so he had to go to a community college for two years until he turned 18. And then he was then able to transfer to the four-year college and then, you know, graduate there. So it, it is, I'm, I'm glad that you're here today shedding light or talking about community college because we need to like bust all of the myths that that surrounds it that oh it's not as good or you know you don't want to go to a community college you want to go to a university that i would absolutely encourage a lot of people starting out and if especially if you're not sure what you want to do or what path to take even if you're sure you could do your basics at a community college for far less 
right, tuition-wise and, and, and save money and then transfer to a four-year school. So Absolutely. that was just, yeah, the little spiel I wanted to add. Um, so uh, Dr. Uh, Henan, and um, I guess where I'm trying to come at it would be a little bit a different spill. Like definitely, mm-hmm. I think we all got our education in the United States. So that's, that's definitely no go. I went to a private liberal HBCU. So it's different, right? Mm-hmm. However, let's just talk about like rewind to mm-hmm. when I was 16, graduating high school um, in the Gambia, and then it was time to go. What's that process like, right? So for me, it was like, okay, you know, back in the day, back in the 90s, everything that was in, it was a different world, the Cosby shows, et cetera. I wanted that Hillman experience. That's exactly mm-hmm. why I ended up going to an HBCU because I'm like, I want to feel like I lived the different world, right? Mm-hmm. So got the I-20, so you get the I-20, um, you know, back in, that, that was prior to 9-11, because everything changed after 9-11, right? Absolutely. So you mm-hmm. get, you get, you get your I-20, you get your, your visa, obviously, you got to show that you can um, pay for the school, etc. I was very fortunate. I was very lucky because my mom had, you know, her parents passed away, she had an inheritance. And so she decided to pay for her, you know, kids to go to college. So was, this was my sister and I entering the same year of freshman year in college, right? She was 18, I'm 16, we're going in together. Um, even though she was in the United States a year ahead of mine um, and started off in a university and then transferred. However, like the, that process, it could be, because I know so many people reach out to me like, okay, I got an I-20. And here's the tricky part, right? They get an I-20 for a, a community college, Okay, so they'll or they can get an acceptance letter for a community college. What they fail to realize is that after 9-11, things, a lot of things changed before. Yeah. Like I have a lot of friends in, from the Gambia that came maybe with a different I-20, eventually mm-hmm. transferred, went into a community college because it was cheaper for them to go and then mm-hmm. transferred to a state school so they could pay mm-hmm. in state. I have a mm-hmm. lot of friends. That's what they did. Right. Mm-hmm. So they could afford their education. But now it's different. So I always tell people, don't even bother. Now, if yeah. you have mm-hmm. that I-20, if you cannot pretty much pay for that entire thing and then mm-hmm. when you get your two years, then what? Then yeah, what? You have to think question. about. Exactly. Right. And then yeah. you have to leave the U.S. Then yeah, come you're back. Exactly right. You're uh-huh, right. right. So maybe so- you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. for those of us that aren't familiar with the, the language, I-20 is basically a document from the school given to a student. So that officially we're saying to the embassy, please allow uh, Henan Juf to come into the country. He's going to study for this specific major for this amount of time at this mm. university. And you're very right, post 9-11, the rules changed. So we mm-hmm. you couldn't just come into the U.S. Prior to post um, 9-11, you could come into the country and then decide to go to another school, decide mm. to go to a whole different system. Like I mentioned, there's the Cal State, the, sorry, the state schools, the university schools, and the community college. Mm-hmm. Now you can't. The, the I-20 you have is the only one you can go to. And on that I-20, it also says how much it costs for you to go there. So to your mm-hmm. point, our Mary, 
Um, mm. They're just, because of the lack of opportunity, yes, a lot of our African brothers and sisters yeah. get the I-20 and assume, oh, this is the golden yep. ticket. I should mm-hmm. come. No, mm-hmm. you should align your resources to what it is mm-hmm. you will be able to do. Mm-hmm. And and usually the most cost, cost effective would be a community college because that they are cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. the, the only reason why they're cheaper is because, you know, the, the, the state government subsidizes them. So mm-hmm. the point. But mm. there are there are ways in which a a state school or an HBCU might become cheaper, in, and that is only in the event that, for example, you get a scholarship. But to mm-hmm. your point, Doctor Nafi, um, if you get a scholarship, the question is how much is that scholarship for? What mm-hmm. are they expecting in return for that scholarship, and for how mm-hmm. long? So mm-hmm. if you get an academic scholarship and all they expect you to do is get a three point GPA while you're there. Okay, mm-hmm. you know that when you come here, you need to you need to hit the books. Whatever you do, that mm-hmm. 3.0 needs to happen because the moment <laughs> you fall below a 2.0, a 3.0, mm-hmm. a 3.0 is basically a, a you know a, a B average, yeah, mm-hmm. a 4.0 yeah. is an A. Um, you, you they cut you off. You don't have any money, and and it's extremely expensive after that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a sports scholarship, understand that they will expect you not only to play but also to practice and also mm-hmm. to travel with them to any other games that are going to. People think it's just fun. Hey, I, I play soccer in Ghana. I play basketball right. in Ghana. It is not the same. We mm-hmm. we give priority to our athletes on campus in picking their courses. Why? Because we know that if we don't they will not get the courses they need. By the mm-hmm. time you factor in the practice time plus the travel time plus the game time, they mm-hmm. can only take a class at 6 p.m. on a Saturday type of mm. thing. So understand that we as university, we know that. So take that also seriously when you're accepting that um, sports scholarship. So that's the mm-hmm. other piece. Okay. Now, my advice to any student that, you know, uh, process-wise, yes, back mm-hmm. in the day, we were, we were applying to get an I-20 paper, pencil, internet was just starting. Well, mm-hmm. nowadays you could do it on the uh, from the comfort of your home you could probably even apply on snapchat some of them mm-hmm. have snapchat um, <laughs> accounts wow. um, and basically wow. yeah you technically could uh, turn in all your information online and they will respond to you with in you know the basics of what you need to do to get an i-20 mm-hmm. and with that i-20 you physically need to go to an embassy in the in you know your neighboring countries and or mm-hmm. the u.s to get a, uh, a visa now, due to COVID, that's becoming a little harder. You need to find a visa appointment, but it's possible. Um, I would recommend if anybody that's looking for one not to be stuck with only looking at the Gambia as an option. You can go mm-hmm. to Ghana, Senegal, some of the mm-hmm. other neighboring countries to get your visa appointment and fly over. Mm-hmm. Now, that being done, you finally come to the U.S. because you have an I-20 and a visa. They're two different things. The visa is the one that allows you to come into the country. The I-20 is the one that allows you to go to that school. You mm-hmm. need both. Mm-hmm to come to the University of, let's say, Kansas. When you get here, believe that for the four years that you're here or whatever, however long your studies are, that I-20 needs to be valid, meaning you have to continue taking those classes, you have to continue paying for those classes, mm-hmm. and if the academics of what you're doing isn't up to par, they will send you home. Mm-hmm. They, post 9-11, they are keeping mm-hmm. tabs on you every Absolutely. single semester. So mm-hmm. don't think you can just walk away for a semester, walk, uh, work at the local 7-Eleven and then pop back up on the radar and take classes again. No, 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 no. That used to be possible. Nowadays, right. they you will can't. stop you and tell you, I'm sorry, you're out of status and you need to go home and then mm-hmm. reapply before you come back. I'm just saying this so that people understand times have changed. Yes, mm-hmm. when your uncle or your dad or even your older brother was doing this 20 years ago, it was possible. 
nowadays it's different and mm-hmm. you can't so you finally get here um to your point about you know four four lane highways and things like that i think the biggest culture shock for most people is getting to the airport and there's an escalator and they're looking at it like <laughs> how is this thing moving um but yeah there's that there's the cold there's all these things and you finally get to campus and realize that from that day forward as an international student you are not like every other student you mm-hmm. are required to be in school you are required to have your grades up to par you are mm-hmm. required to carry a full load a full load means a full time student 12 units other students american students can take 3 units they can be in classes for 3 day 3 hours a, a week and they're fine mm-hmm. you need to be in 12 and i think mm-hmm. folks just need to know that before they commit to coming to school because mm-hmm. then they don't understand why it is that they need to be in 12 units and work a job if they're allowed to work a job first of mm-hmm. all and be in sports because of their scholarship and uh do the internships and externships that will lead to the job that they want to get to when they graduate those are mm-hmm. all things that they need to think about before they commit to coming and or you know coming to school because it's not easy absolutely Wow. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for that breakdown. And our Mary, thank you for that question because I mm-hmm. think so many of our listeners are going to be able to to relate and also mm-hmm. take in the information because they're actually dealing with that. And Henan, thank you for breaking it down in a way where every parent who's listening right now understands what exactly what the forms are, what mm-hmm. the expectations are for their children that are coming and also for the kids to understand, I mean not the kids, but for the young adults that are coming in to understand what is awaiting them. Now I have mm-hmm. another um um angle that I want to come at this from because as um uh, I'll call myself a first generation American right so mm-hmm. for those of us who are parents came to the US we got our citizenships so we're American we went to high school and now it's time to go to college but we're still dealing with first generation mm-hmm. immigrant parents right so mm-hmm. they don't really mm-hmm. understand the system mm-hmm. and they're trying to navigate how do i get my now american citizen child into college so mm-hmm. i grew up in a home where um my parents worked for the world bank so alhamdulillah which mean thanks god they were able to organize themselves and pay for us we all went to college and graduated with zero debt now Ooh. that it is is not a common thing especially for you know kids in the black community or first generation immigrants most kids are graduating with a huge amount of debt we're looking mm-hmm. at maybe 28,000 when you're talking about your bachelor's degree and when you're talking about your graduate school debt loan we're talking about $71,000 mm-hmm. so how do african parents who are now naturalized citizens help mm-hmm. their children get into college without mm-hmm. amassing so much debt on graduation that is a perfect uh you know i i mentioned how my dad told me congratulations son you got into your top school but i can't afford this mm-hmm. um did you brought you hit the, the the nail on the coffin so you have a, you are a naturalized citizen you have kids that are us born and or citizens themselves and by virtue of them being us citizens they qualify for a lot of different things that we didn't as international students so they're naturalized they're born here they went to high school here the key is the senior year of high school senior year of high school as a parent um no shade we know who we are and where we work and what we do make sure you pay your taxes that year make sure you have a document that proves that you were legitimately doing something on mm-hmm. paper in whatever state you are the mm-hmm. reason why i say that is 
because the following year when your high school when your you know first year freshman is going to college they will look back at those taxes to say yes Hananju's son or daughter paid into the system and so we owe them help with college the first year of school mm-hmm. if you don't have that then it becomes an issue with the senior year of high school your parent is or guardian or the student themselves and on you can be working a job and pay taxes great you do that senior year of high school you apply through the fafsa system the fafsa mm-hmm. stands for free application for student aid i start again free application for student aid it don't let anybody tell you that they'll help you apply for it and it costs 60 or 80 dollars no it's a free application all they want to know is Hanan, did you work in 2020? Yes. Did you pay taxes in 2020? Yes. How much did you pay taxes in 2020? And in which state did you pay taxes in 2020? Well, now in 2021 when Hanan goes to a state school, that same application will say based on the information you gave us, because you are going to a school that costs $17,000 a year, we will give you 13. We will give you 14, whatever that number is. And mm-hmm. usually that number is based on your your family size and the, the responsibility so if hanan was the only one paying taxes and there were four dependents in the family then he will get more than if hanan had only one dependent because he can hopefully help that one uh, dependent more than the four that's basically the formula so pay your taxes first of all have the paperwork for your, for your son or daughter or whoever it may be that's attending the next year when you turn in the fafsa the next year then you'll be able to get free money back based on the fact that you are not just a citizen but someone that paid into the system and they mm-hmm. owe you to help you and that will cut across you can use that money to go to community college you can use that money to go to a state school you can use that money to go to an HBCU a research school all of the above the only thing that you need to be thinking about is what is the actual cost of attendance at those schools because the state school the the federal government is not going to give you 100% of what you need to go Okay. If you go to a community college, most likely you will end up going for free because the amount they'll give you will cover all your tuition. Mm-hmm. If you go to a state school, I would say most students go with 90-95% of it co- covered. As you start going to the research schools, they become more expensive as well. Now you're mm-hmm. talking about 60 to 70% of it covered. Mm-hmm. The private schools, eh, maybe 50, maybe 30%, it really depends on how what what type of institution you're going to but I'll mm-hmm. put an asterisk there caveat is that the private schools also have their private endowments to help you go to school so I wouldn't say don't go to a private school I'd mm-hmm. say look at both formulas so once the federal government has given you 20,000 mm-hmm. go to the school and say okay Harvard how much are you able or, you know willing to pony up for me to come and if mm-hmm. they're giving you a good package then you put those two together and you you do the budget and say okay 33,000 for you know a $42,000 school it still means i need about 8 9000 can i come mm-hmm. come up with that on my own and if you mm-hmm. can't great go if you can't please don't mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense i i'll take myself as an example i did not go to the top school in california even though i got in five times i got in from high school i got in when i was transferring i got in when i was getting my bachelor's degree <laughs> i got in when i got my master's degree why did i not go to the ucla because it cost too much it did not make sense i found the cheaper the more resourceful um option and at the end of the day like dr nafi said mm-hmm. my degrees all say i am a doctor and mm-hmm. i graduated from the university of southern california mm-hmm. it doesn't say started at x community college and Correct. graduated it doesn't say 
uh, started at this state school and ended up at no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. When when I go for jobs, all they want to know is a, did I finish my degree? B, did I go to a reputable school? Mm-hmm. And that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. On on the employment end, on mm-hmm. the um, getting your education end, make sure you're going to a school that's actually that actually has a good program. So I did mm-hmm. not pick going to for the undergraduate. My undergrad was at Cal State Northridge. It was a California State University in Northridge. But they are known for economics and business and their uh, their commerce program. That's why I went there. You need to be able to make those choices too to go to a school that is reputable that'll get you what you need to do. Back to the finance conversation, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I do not know anybody that graduates without any debt nowadays because <laughs> they're just extremely, extremely um, expensive. But if you are smart enough to, or you have the ability to say, I'm going to do my first two years at a community mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. I, I actually want to come back to a point. Uh, sorry, we can go all over this place with this conversation. <laughs> so community colleges. Yes, they take they have a bad rep. It is something that happens because in the 1940s, that's when they were put in place with the Great Depression and they've never, you know, outlived that reputation. But the truth of the matter is, even if you're a 4.4 GPA student in high school, so you've taken all these APs and you are not going to go to a community college, you're going to end up at a four-year school. I still recommend you taking some enhancement courses at the community college that's close mm-hmm. to you. Why? Because the four-year school you're going to will look at you as a college student when mm-hmm. they're accepting you. They will say, huh, okay, Aji can actually do this because we've seen her take college-level work. Not just the APs, not just the things that she was doing at high school. She mm-hmm. actually did college-level work, and so we will accept her as a freshman here, and she will move forward. So mm-hmm. use the community college for the for what it is that you want to do, whether mm-hmm. it's straight out of high school, taking enrichment courses, whether it's graduating high school and doing two years there so that it's cheaper for you, and then you finish the other two years at a four-year school, because really it's a game of math. Two plus two equals four. Once you get to the four, you get your bachelor's degree. So finish the first two at a community college, finish the other two years at mm-hmm. a four-year school, and then you mm-hmm. get your degree. That's how you end up making ends meet because the first two years might be free. The mm-hmm. other two are maybe at ten or twelve thousand dollars a year. You're talking about twenty-four total instead mm-hmm. of it being forty, sixty, or eighty thousand. And that's if you're not going to law school. That's mm-hmm. if you're not going to engineering school. And most mm-hmm. of our folks want to become what lawyers and doctors <laughs> and engineers. So the truth <laughs> of the matter is, you with your goal. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. If that's something that you want to do, hey. I am happy to look back and see so many black African engineers, doctors doing what they love and, and you know, putting our names on the map. I, I love it. But it has to be what you want to do. So mm. I'm never the one that starts, you know, the conversation with what does your parent want you to do or what do you think? No, I'm sorry. Let's talk about you. <laughs> I, I want you to be that person that is, you know, creating the essence of, you know, like they're so many Gambian soaps that I'm finding now that are coming out of, you know, Sorrel and some, and who would have thought of that five, 10, 15 years ago. So I want them to figure mm-hmm. out what they want to do. Anyway, finances, please make sure that as a parent, if you are a U.S. born or a citizen, that one, the taxes are there. Two, you apply for the FAFSA. Three, you do something that I don't think most of us do, which is the long-term budget plan of what the four years will look like. And maybe when, as you look at the four years, two years at a community college makes more sense than four years at a four-year school or four years at a private school that's going to give you private um, funds will make more sense than going to a public institution. Everybody's different, but you need to have all those options on the table 
before you make your decision. Thank you, Hanan. Real quick, I want to follow up because you said something and in all transparency, I did want to share that I did end up with um, with um, student loan debt because my dad um, threatened me and said, if you get married, because I graduated with no debt, my undergraduate degree, and then I wanted to get married. And he said, if you get married, I'm not going to pay for your master's. And I said, well, I'm going to get married anyway. So then I got married and I got uh, student loans. And so I ended up with debt. But I digress. That's a whole story for another day. They get both, but doesn't take you anyway. Anyway, um, I also wanted to to, to share this, um, and I want to go a little bit um, to a more colorful conversation about race relations because mm-hmm. I feel like as Africans, when we migrate to the U.S., I don't know what it is, and I'm not speaking for all Africans, but somehow we just see ourselves different from African Americans because, of course, we have a different experience. But sometimes we also see ourselves as better than. So what you also find is a lot of African parents kind of discouraging the kids from going to HBCUs. And our mayor, you can come in and share your HBCU experience. And I know for a fact, I was one of those kids. I, I applied to Spelman, I applied to Clark. I wanted to go to a black school and my dad was like, no. Well, partly also because my oldest sister went to Morgan State her first year. And let's just say she came back a little bit more Shaniqua than my dad would have wanted her to come back. <laughs> so, the sophomore, so, so her sophomore year, her and I actually ended up going to uh, a private um, college in, in New Hampshire called New England College, which is a private liberal arts school. And um, we had scholarship to go there. And then, of course, my parents, you know, financed the rest of our education. However, do you find that a lot of African parents who migrate to the U.S., right, discourage their kids from going to, quote unquote, black schools. They want their kids to go to Futubabi Neka. You know, like they see the white institutions or the, what do they call them? Predominantly white institutions. Mm-hmm. They see them as, as, as more legitimate or more prestigious, or that's how you're going to get the better jobs if you graduate from these institutions. So can we just have a very honest discussion about that. Let me go in first before he comes in because I went to an HBCU and um, just from my experience since I'm the one, you know, with my parents, my parents were actually really excited. First, let's just backtrack. They wanted me to go to England because obviously I'm a, a Spanish citizen. I'm a European citizen. And at that time I could study, you know, anywhere in Europe for free. But obviously me, they get hard-headed. I wanted to go to the United States. All my friends were going. And like I said, I wanted to live the Hillman experience. My dad was actually super supportive. My mom obviously didn't know the difference. It was like, yeah, it's a college. Okay, go, go ahead. But they were super su- supportive. One thing that I remember um, going into those, ex- you know, going into the school that I remember vividly my dad telling me that you're going into this school. You are the same you're the same people. These are people that were taken from here, there. You guys are the same people. However, their experiences and what they've lived, right? It's a little bit different. So have that sympathy, right? When you're going in and be empathetic in that. And so I went into, you know, an HBCU really, you know, with that mindset of, okay, these are our same people. These are our brothers and sisters. However, while I'm at that school, 
there are lots of other Africans that were in the school, like, you know, we form form bond or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there are some specific ones that I'll rather not name names that will come in and will look at some of these African-Americans as less than like, oh, because their great grandparents, you know, um, went through slavery. We didn't go through slavery. I'm like, you dumb thing. Right. Like we are all the same people. Right. Um, but I don't know per se, like all of us that have gone through HBCU, especially Africans, because I went through like Shaw University had a lot of Africans um, that I would say, you know, our parents were thinking, oh, this school is best or not. Um, for me, it was like, I want to have that experience. I want to be around my people. And to be honest, I don't know what I would have. I don't know um, who I would be without my HBCU experience, because it's definitely molded me um, into who I am. Um, it's definitely helped raise me, open my eyes to so much more. And like, you know, you know, funny, uh, three days ago with my husband, it's like, why you love black people? And I was like, that's because that's what I am. He's like, but you know, you have white. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't identify that. Like, I, I can't. I don't see myself that. And sometimes living in Europe, especially, like if I see black people, I'm looking at them like, what's up? Like, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of give them the, like that what's up look. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at you like, no, you ain't, you, you, you're not my people. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my people. And I'm, I get so excited to see black mm -hmm. people because this is, this is who I am. Like, mm -hmm. I'm black, right? But I think that's... Um, from me, my experience that I wanted to share. And real quick, before I forget, because we're talking about finances and I don't want to forget. I want to share that there's a lot of ways that too, that African students can get scholarships. Mm -hmm. And this, I encourage this all the time with, um, you know, girls that I mentor, girls that go through the woman boss, is taking the SATs. Take mm -hmm. the SATs. My brother, I mean, hell, he's like half genius, really. But my brother took, I remember him taking the SAT. Um, when he was in high school in Marina and he scored really high, he went through, um, you know, his, his bachelor's degree. He also attended Shaw full ride presidential scholar while my sister and I paid for the entire thing. He mm -hmm. went on full ride. He got his master's full ride all the way to PhD full ride. So I think it all starts with that, P, um, that uh, SAT Take it. Study hard. Study, study, study. If you want to go to the United States, of course, going to England, that's a whole nother story. But if you want to go to the U.S., take those SAT and there's books, there's centers in the Gambia that you can study and take the exam and then look for schools that will actually offer you opportunities based on your SAT scores. Um, look at HBCUs because a lot of them do offer you if you have high GPA plus your SAT mm -hmm. You can go into the ride full. Like I said, my brother pay, paid zero, zero dollars all the way through. So there's definitely ways. Um, also, if you study STEM and you have high GPA and you take the SAT, there's possibilities too. So in science, whether it's biology, chemistry, so on. So I just want to share that because a lot of people will just kind of have like, oh, I'm going to go to the U.S. I'm going to work and pay. No, you can't do that, honey. Like, you just can't. You can't go and work if you're going with an I-20. You can't. Find a scholarship. If you cannot afford it, forget it. Like I said, post 9-11. So I just wanted to share that quick. But Hanan, floor is yours about right. HBCU. Go ahead, no. Hanan, and then I'll come in after you. Absolutely. And I was going to say, our married ditto and everything. I did the mm -hmm. SAT myself. Um, um, to your point about 
are HBCUs. The best way I can put it is that just as we were saying that there's certain myths that we need to bust about community colleges, it's mm-hmm. the same thing that we need to do about HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Yes, unfortunately, our African parents, when they were ed- when they were exposed to what a higher education looked like, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, it was at the height of the Cold War. So the opportunities were, do you go to Russia where people are white and you go mm-hmm. study there and there's a full ride? Do you mm-hmm. go to, you know, the Queen's, you know, English mm-hmm. and you go to England and you study there? The people mm-hmm. are white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe you come to the U.S. where what were the schools that actually had an opportunity to give you a scholarship? They were the white schools as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't they didn't have an HBCU experience. And mm-hmm. all they see is what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of our parents didn't look at a different world and, and um, you know, Spellman and Hillman and think, oh, that's what I want for my my son or my daughter no mm-hmm. they wanted the harvards the mit's the the you know oxford's of the world so unfortunately that's what's still happening now is when you as a you know a, a, you know i'm thinking i was born in 81 but there's kids that were born in the 2000s they have not known any difference so for them yes why would i not want to go to a morehouse a spellman uh, a clark a school in atlanta like it makes sense to them because they see that it will give them an opportunity to get to experience the African-American culture and mm-hmm. also learn more about their own culture. There's a lot of us Africans that come all the way here and then find mm-hmm. out what it really means to be a Syrian, a Bambara, a Fula. Mm-hmm. Amen. Please because, say it. That's because right. Because it's now that you're actually put in a place where people look at you and mm-hmm. maybe our Mary... Oh, Mary, you're just like my mom. I think you you have the exact same experience my mom has as a light-skinned person that's African. But the truth mm-hmm. is, people see you and they don't see an African. And then you sit there and you look at them and you're like, I am 10 times more African than you are. And now you start internalizing that and saying, what mm-hmm. makes me an African? And mm-hmm. you start wearing, you start speaking, mm-hmm. you start mm-hmm. studying who you are, which is what you're supposed to do in college anyway. So it's not time lost. But my whole point to you is the HBCU will be the place where you can do that. It is a perfect opportunity for you to go there and find yourself amongst people that need to a learn about you, but also mm-hmm. teach you about what their experience was because they moved here and now they have gumbo, which is not our actual, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> supakanya. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's you being able to have that conversation with them and. For me, I don't know how what it was for the for the uh, for all of you. I moved to the U.S. and I moved to California. A mm-hmm. majority of my friends were Asian, so mm-hmm. I learned about Asian culture, Asian food, and all those things. Being a fourth culture kid, it wasn't that hard for me, but it still gave me the opportunity to say, "Huh, this it was. This is what it really means to have Malian heritage." Yes, when the International Students Club says wear your traditional garb, I was very happy to wear my my bugala and come to campus and people are looking at me funny and i'm like yep that's me as a 19 year old as a 19 year old in gambia would i do that absolutely not you couldn't catch, i wanted to wear you know a 3xt with jeans avirex and and, and durag and all that but then on that day i felt proud being me and mm-hmm. me meant gambian syria mm-hmm. bambara mm-hmm. you name it and yeah. i think that's what hbcu gives you the opportunity to do absolutely awesome oh my gosh you guys this is amazing just listening to you guys um i wanted to piggyback a little bit on what um hanan had said a little bit about majoring and how some of the kids who come in 
um, you know, it's more about what you want to do instead of what your parents want to do. And on our platform, a lot of parents are listening and a lot of parents who are listening to us have this mindset of, I am the African parent. I tell you what to study. And I thought that we should discuss a little bit about that um, in a sense that as a parent, yes, you should guide your kids, not pressure them or threaten them into um, what they should be studying. Um, again, so I, I have experience of this and it, it came up when Hanan was talking about it with the students when he asks them what do you want to study not what your parents want you to study it is very important that you know a lot of the parents that are listening understand that because I I've listened to family friends whose parents refused to pay their college because they didn't want to study what their dad wanted them to study and instead you know they ended up having to study you know my, my dad wants me to study finance but I want to go to medical school. And she ended up having to study finance. And so now she's in the financial world. She doesn't like it, but that's what ended up being her life because that was her only opportunity in her parent having to pay for her school. So I wanted the parents to also be mindful in not projecting their dreams onto their children and now making it their child's burden that because you couldn't go to medical school, now you're forcing your child to be a doctor. Because you still want that, you know, prestige in the community that my child went to medical school. Well, maybe your child does not want to be a doctor. And so I thought we should discuss a little bit about that. I don't know what any of you guys' experiences have been as far as did you have to choose your majors or did your parents kind of, you know, guide you towards what you should be taking? I'm curious to find out. I know for me, my my I've always wanted to be a doctor since... Listen, I rolled out of the womb I, like w with a, a surgical knife or something. I'm, I've always wanted to be that. And I remember when I was in Gambia growing up as a kid, I would have all of my, my friends, my sisters, my cousins, the kids in the neighborhood, I would line them up and I would use um, like a safety pin. Okay, so I would use a safety <laughs> pin and I would tell them, Okay, we're at the doctor's office and I am going to be immunizing you guys. And girl, <laughs> I was using my spit on my mouth. I would take a spit, wipe your arm as, you know, they would do at the hospital with like a, a, an, an alcohol wipe. And then I would inject them each with the same damn needle. Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh my goodness so, gracious. I know. So I've always been intrigued about the medical health since I was a kid. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. But not everybody um, was clear in their path of what it is they wanted to do when they got older. And so I, I'm curious to find out if you guys chose your own majors or were you inspired by what your parents did and then you did it or what was there some kind of a guidance from your parents Hanan I'll have you go first oh <laughs> I feel like I'm dominating the conversation I was like start oh, with somebody okay. else but anyway um <laughs> how did I decide um so I'm going to answer this in two ways because this is actually what I studied in my dissertation for my doctorate which is that we pick what we want to study based on what we're exposed to Mm -hmm. and that's it mm -hmm. so at an at a certain age you were exposed to the medical profession mm -hmm. something that spoke to you and you wanted to do it so it didn't mm -hmm. matter you know uh, it's the same for me um, my dad's a diplomat my mom's a teacher I saw education mm 
mm-hmm. running through my veins without even knowing it. My grandmother mm-hmm. was a high school principal in Basse. My mm-hmm. mom is a high school teacher now. And I did, I fell into education, but quite honestly, I think I fe- I actually was born to do what I'm doing now without even knowing that that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um people that fall into STEM or don't like STEM, it's not about math, it's not about the chemistry or the biology. It's them seeing that my by me doing this it's going to lead me to that goal over there and as long as they buy into that idea early and by early i mean middle school high school then mm-hmm. yes it's easier easier when they get into college and everywhere else because they don't have that anxiety about math that anxiety about chemistry which isn't necessarily our experience when we're back home and, mm-hmm. and i think that's why i think it's important for you to have the conversation now so that they understand expose your kids to everything under the sun whether mm-hmm. it's geometry geography chemistry math etc they will lead to the next thing that they want to do the math class is just as important for someone that wants to go into law as it mm-hmm. is as someone that wants to go into engineering mm-hmm. because if the lawyer is a um i don't know an entertainment lawyer or a contract lawyer you mm-hmm. better believe they need to know math you mm-hmm. know so it's it there's no one path that needs stem more than the other so that's one to how did i get what to where i got to i think i kind of answered i started out as an economics and a political science major mm-hmm. um i happened to be watching tv for an economic i was actually studying for economics test on 9/11 and a friend of mine calls me and says turn on the tv and i'm like why he's like turn on the tv i turn on the tv i see the second plane going into the tower and i get, and i prompt i kid you not at that moment i decided i did not want to move to the east coast again or to work on wall street or like i the fear of losing everything i'd invested in made mm-hmm. me start to think do i really want to do economics and political science do i want to work for the un do i want mm, maybe not okay well what are the other options what am i good at how do i pivot everything that i've learned and to continue doing things that i'm actually happy in doing now lucky for me my parents were okay with supporting me with that decision i mean i ended up paying for my tuition and all that so that mm-hmm. that wasn't finances wasn't a way in which they would have been able to leverage what i do mm-hmm. but they still support it until this day if you ask my dad or my mom what i do in student affairs i don't think they're too clear about it they they think i'm a teacher <laughs> they think i teach you know my grandmother is called teacher guinness but she's a principal you know like <laughs> you know type of thing but they supported my choice in doing what i was doing and at every stage you know whether it was an aa graduation one of them came bachelor's degree somebody else came <laughs> uh doctorate i was lucky to get all of them to come but my point is that's what you need to do for your kids is support them in what they're doing yeah. because at the end of the day we need a little bit of everything for you know the gambia to be better than what it is today right. um in in 10 years in 5 years in 20 years awesome ana So my experience was I think the very typical my African dad was like you're going to be a lawyer you talk a lot and <laughs> I, was like, I was like okay um so anyone who knows me knows yes I have the gift of gab but um I went to to college and I was majoring in in pre-law criminal justice then my junior year in college um I was interning at a law firm and we turned on the TV um much like you um Henan I had a very drastic change of mind because of an event that took place we turned on the TV and there was a courtroom in Atlanta I don't know if anyone will remember this but 
um, the defendant was able to get a hold of the security's gun mm. and started shooting in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I remember that incident and I was like, oh, uh-uh, not me. No, you, you I don't want to do this anymore. The bad guy's not going to get me in the courtroom. No, no, no. So I went home. I called my dad. I was shaking and I was like, I don't want to do law anymore. None of it. Because he was like, okay, well, maybe you can look into human rights law. You will be very good at that. And I was like, no, Um, you know, it's just not anything. It's not something that I'm passionate about. But Mm -hmm. I had one year to go. So I was like, you know what? Let me just finish out this year, get my degree, then I'll figure out what I want to do. Growing up with both parents, um, my mom is an economist. My dad is an environmentalist. While in Gambia, my mom was working for the Ministry of Finance. My dad dabbled in politics and worked um, for environment in, the, in Gambia. Then they moved to the U.S. and both of them were at the World Bank. So needless to say, our dinner discussions were all about, you know, projects that <laughs> yeah. they were working on in Nairobi, in, in Dar es Salaam, in, in, in Ethiopia. So, you know, I was very much interested in what was happening in the different countries and cultures. Mm-hmm. So it made sense. I was like, what about international relations? My dad was like, every African child wants to study international relations, <laughs> do something different. And I was like, okay. So I decided to do my master's in public policy. And that landed me in in the UN where I worked um, in Ethiopia for a couple of years. And it was just a dream come true. It was a dream job. And I got to live that out. And then I ended up working for the ECA in Tanzania and different international organizations in East Africa. So saying that to say, regardless of what your parents say, and I, especially for Nigerian kids, I remember having Nigerian friends and they were all like, I'm doing what my parents mm-hmm. say I should do. I'm going to mm-hmm. give them the degree. It's theirs. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to go do what I want to do. And I feel mm-hmm. like we need to move away from that thought process because this is your life. Mm-hmm. These are your years. And I feel like we need to find the strength as African children to stand up to our parents and say, Thank you for that suggestion, but this is what I want to do. Um, Amen. So, so mm-hmm. that's that, yeah. Uh, Listen, Anna, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm gonna be saying that, but standing at the door over there. <laughs> you say it. <laughs> don't be, don't be close to them. Be at the door over there, but tell them what you think. <laughs> So I would say that um, I would say, well, first of all, I think one is representation matters. And I think Mm -hmm. what you can only be something that you can see, I feel like most of the time, especially in the Gambia. So I'll start with my experience and then kind of go through, especially now that I do some work with, you know, with young girls. So my experience really, you know, you guys are talking and I'm just like so grateful for the type of father I had. I thought he was strict, but really, my dad was like, really like... (laughs) really liberal um, because he never pressured us to study a certain thing. Um, For me, I think I wanted to be in finance forever because obviously one, I saw my mom was never broke. So I was like, Hmm, if my mom was never broke, I definitely want to be in finance. You always had cash. I want to hold cash. Right. Um, So that was me. I studied finance all the way um, from bachelor's to my MBA. Um, but I would say even for my for my siblings, there wasn't lots of influence um, in the sense that, you know, you have to be pushed to study some um, for my brother, however, because he was so smart, um, you know, growing up, like he would always come first, like in the Gambia, first this, first that, whatever. 
Um, and he was really, really good at science. I remember my father telling him to study science, but his love was music. Mm. Um, so everybody that knows my brother, you'll see him like he's this, you know, genius. He's doing like this. And then you see him DJing. That's him. Like this is this is who he is because his passion really is music. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went to undergrad. He did. I remember you know, he did his um, uh, what is it? Uh, bachelor's in physics then went to master's, did math and physics, double master's and uh, nanoscience for PhD. But after all that, he left it and he went to London after teaching. I mean, he went to Saudi Arabia and, you know, was heading math and physics programs there. But then he left all of a sudden. He was like, no, I'm going into London. I'm going to the school of producing. And I was like, produce what? (laughs) <laughs> and it's like <laughs> and it's like music you know and then my I remember my dad my mom like all of us on the like what the hell is wrong with this dude like yeah. you want to pay $60,000 and he saved up his money he was wow. he was he paid 60,000 US dollars I'll never forget he saved up every penny to go to producing school because this is what he wanted to do so there he was he's in London quit everything go in saved enough money to so he can live he goes to the school to produce and he got his degree then after that um you know he wanted to set up a studio that's why he you see him it's like something he's actually learned it's not like oh, okay i just like to play the piano in the same process he taught himself how to play the piano the guitar guitar and so on but it's just that type but i remember for that specific time um my parents saying that you definitely especially my dad you should stick with the science but he studied math, physics, all that. He's really good at it. He helps my kids with homework, but he doesn't work around that. Mm-hmm. And so even after that, he says, okay, I definitely like teaching, right? Because he was in schools, he was in universities. I like teaching, but not so much the sciences. I don't mind doing it, but not so much. I actually like executive training because when he's bored, he takes courses. That's who he is, right? So he started taking um, certain courses and certificates, and now he's a certified trainer. So he trains executives. He's like, this is what I like. I actually enjoy training people and teaching them, but on things that I want to teach them on. Mm -hmm. And so that's how he ended up. So this is a a man who studied all these things. But when you look at him, I always tell him, I'm like, all your degrees, education. If education Mm -hmm. would make you rich, you'll be the richest person that I would Mm -hmm. know because you're constantly (laughs) looking for something Mm -hmm. to do. I remember people would pay him to do homework (laughs) or pay him to do papers. And this is how Mm -hmm. he made his side money in college, right? Um, But, you know, going back to now, Mm -hmm. Um, That was my experience and some of my family. But now to the young kids. So obviously, you guys know with the woman boss, I'm doing leadership and I'm going to schools and talking about gender base and so on. However, and I think I mentioned this in one episode or maybe through a conversation with you guys. We've we've done about 20 schools the past three months and seen over a thousand girls. And I can honestly say a handful when I say one hand handful want to be in the sciences. Mm hmm. They're all lawyers, lawyers, mm-hmm. lawyers, and lawyers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are all these lawyers going to do in the Gambia? Nothing. Because again, going back to representation matters, this is what they see. They think mm-hmm. lawyers make money. TRRC, mm-hmm. TRRC, mm-hmm. look at these lawyers. Look what they're mm-hmm. doing. This is what they're seeing. Or every now and then you do get a lot of journalists, mm-hmm. journalists, mm-hmm. journalists, because they see obviously being on the radio or being on, the, um, on TV, it's something that's that's looking good and maybe 
Fatu Kamara makes them look like, you know, makes, makes it look so easy, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the whole process, the whole journey. How mm-hmm. do you get to be where you are? But, you know, you don't see that many doctors. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're dealing in the Gambia, unfortunately, we're dealing with one OB, really good OB, mm-hmm. right? And it's a man. And mm-hmm. everybody's waiting to see that dude, right? And he's mm-hmm. a doctor. Because mm-hmm. you don't see that many. Or even if they do, they don't go back home, right? And so you don't see the engineers. You don't see, like, my husband's been trying to recruit a woman from, um, from tech. But to get a woman in tech, it's like pulling a night. Like, you mm-hmm. literally have to pull them. And when I say tech, I mean, I'm saying, like, good tech, right? So women in tech is really difficult. When women, mm-hmm. when girls want to study math, first of all, they've already painted your head. Like, math is difficult. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, like you must be a genius to study math. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's not that um, mm-hmm. or, you know, be an orthodontist. Even when, you know, I go to schools and some of these girls are like, I want to be a doctor. And I'm like, what type of mm-hmm. doctor? What type of medicine? They don't know. Mm-hmm. They just want to be a doctor. But they mm-hmm. don't know because they don't spend the time to research mm-hmm. what other ways that you can be something else right mm-hmm. so I, I think it's key and i've been thinking about this like you know in conversations my husband and i or even staff how do we do career affairs uh, in the in in the gambia because mm-hmm. that's something that's lacking in the united mm-hmm. states you can easily see that right mm-hmm. you can go to a um you know your your local school will do career affairs and then you have your parents that show up as you know firemen or police or whatever in in the gambia unfortunately you don't see that so mm-hmm. all you see is QTV, what will show you a GRTS. Yes. Or mm-hmm. what else you see on Facebook and, and Instagram. So you just want to do that. And on, so we're missing out a lot of other, you know, ways that you can definitely inspire these children. So I wanted mm-hmm. to share that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for my son, who's now a senior going into, into college, um, about to go to college, all his, you know, as a child, he was like, okay, I want to be a professional athlete. Then he was mm-hmm. like, I want to study sports medicine because it's still within, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the sports and being athletic and so on. But, you know, two weeks ago, he came to us and he said, I want to study criminal justice. I almost fell off my chair. I said, criminal justice. He's like, because of all these things, black and crime and all these things that are going on now. He wants to study criminal justice. So it's very similar to, Hanan, your experience, Oana, what you're seeing on TV. What's happening currently, it's really mm-hmm. influencing him to decide mm-hmm. now to say, I want to study criminal justice. And I'm like, um, that is something I never expected from him, mm-hmm. right? To say that yeah. he's going to study criminal justice. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what happened to sports medicine? What happened? He's like, no, it's all about that. I'm like, business? No, it's criminal justice. Mm-hmm. I want to be, mm-hmm. I'm thinking FBI. I'm like, FBI? like like, no no but like no I mean this is a scared little boy but he's like no like this is what I want to do so Mm -hmm. so different right so experiences again representation right now he's getting to see it he's getting to watch some of these things he's seeing what's happening in social media he's seeing the Mm -hmm. injustices so what Mm -hmm. can he do about it so he's like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna study that Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my you, you just said something that really sparked. I'm sorry just to jump in, but mm-hmm. um, first of all, my brother's the same way. He's in music, he's producing music after studying all the things that he needed to study. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they're just people that are 
that way. They, that's what they're going to do. They're going to find yes. their, their their way in life and, and what they love and what they're passionate about. It's his birthday, by the way. So happy birthday, James. Um, <laughs> the, other piece, the other piece is you are very right. If we don't project for our Gambian kids what is possible, then mm-hmm. they will never know what is possible. Absolutely. It's not that they don't want to do it. You know, I, I, I blame us because when, when you say there's a lot of people that are that want to be lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. I look back at my graduating class and I know that a majority of them, what they're doing is what the kids nowadays want to do because they've gone back home and they're showing them what is possible. Mm-hmm. They went to Arusha, they studied law, they came back. They mm-hmm. went, you know, so that's what we need to be doing to prove to them that yes, mm-hmm. education pays. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and by education, mm-hmm. I mean the education major. Mm-hmm. Finance pays. Well, you mentioned your mom. I'm I'm willing to bet that your mom was going to make good money just because she she was shrewd she she had that thing in her head where she could make those things happen it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. finance and i mm-hmm. want people to see mm-hmm. how they can use their skill set because a lot mm-hmm. of women in africa are the ones that are running our damn economies hell yeah idea. absolutely and, and, and it's without a finance degree <laughs> you know yeah mm-hmm. and, and so that's what i want to be able to be able to bring to the front or bring to light for our students is whether it's through snapchat tiktok yeah. IG, whatever it may be, I want them to see what we're doing on a day-to-day basis with the degrees that we have so that they yeah. can also aspire to that because maybe the maybe the scholarship opportunity in Taiwan is for a specific major that they don't like mm-hmm. or Canada that they don't like. I get that. But start thinking about what skill set are you learning from that degree so mm-hmm. that you can then put it to use in the way that you want to because mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, yes, we don't all have the resources. That's true. Okay, great. But you can do something with, we are not any less than any of the other folks that are trying to make things happen out here. That's mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. wow. You definitely wow. It makes it makes a lot of sense. But so now that you just talked a little bit about opportunities that are available, I wanted us to touch up a little bit on like what are do you know of any websites or what are some of some of the great websites that parents of or students can check out, you know, for like financial opportunities for higher education? Because I know that once your child is getting ready to go to college or even, on, you know, uh, community college, you want to look and see what's available. Because if we're going to be honest, m- the majority of parents, you know, especially coming from Africa, if you whether you live in the diaspora or you are currently in Gambia or wherever, they're not going to be able to pay for their kids' college. That's the honest mm-hmm. truth. Very mm-hmm. few of us have that kind of uh, a blessing. And so mm-hmm. I wanted us to maybe, you know, give little nuggets if we can, if you guys know of any websites or anything like that where parents or just students themselves can go to. I know a few um, that my sister had shared with me because her daughter is, her 16-year-old just graduated going away to college. And so uh, one of the websites is called fastweb.com. And she was saying that that's a good place to start. You can find opportunities there. Um, Another one uh, she was saying was that even the World Bank, she said, if you look at Anna, when you said that your parents worked at the World Bank, I was just going to say, they actually have scholarships as well. So the World Bank's website, um, there's another one called um, Ford Fellowship. It's called, Mm -hmm. they have opportunities, especially for African students as well and so that's a place that you can look um another one called opportunities corner um they will you can when you go to that website opportunities with an uh, es uh corners you can uh put what country you want to go to because um 
so for example, some of the Nordic countries in, in Europe, they actually offer, free, you know, tuition free schools and uh, or, or education. And so like uh, Finland or maybe Sweden, but in those countries that there's a catch, you would have to learn the language, obviously. Um, and so maybe the first year that you're there, it's going to be mainly for learning the language and stuff. And then you can you can study in a different language. But you know, not everybody can come to America, if we're going to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, the the students in other countries, not everybody will have the opportunity to come here, but there are opportunities in places like Canada, in places like um, Europe, where you can go and actually get um, educated for pretty much free. And uh, as far as for the United States, they have... Um, pretty much scholarships for everything like and when you're looking or searching online you can search like minority um scholarships as well right and um for my sister for example she had a scholarship for being left-handed i'm not kidding like you can get scholarships for different things so because she was a left-handed person she actually found a scholarship for for college that would pay for her because she was and so you know, just make sure that these are some of the things that it's not readily available. These types of information, it's not readily available, you know, mm -hmm. in, in our communities, you know. And for me, my, my particular experience, I, I came to find out that you can actually apply for a program from high school. You can apply to a program. It's called either a B, a B, um, a B. BA slash MD program or a BS mm -hmm. slash MD program. I was mm -hmm. not made aware of this. When I was in high school in Michigan, I had a 4.2 GPA, meaning I was taking advanced like a community college classes while I was still in high school. So I qualified for all of these programs, but I had no clue they existed, right? Because mm -hmm. My, my um, guidance counselor didn't really provide these types of information for me. And so I would tell the students and the parents, be proactive. Don't just wait for the guidance counselor to offer you certain information about what is available to your child. Make mm -hmm. sure that you actually, and I know it's tough, especially if you have a parent who's an immigrant and they don't know a lot of these places to go to to get these types of information, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we're doing this program to kind of give you ideas of what you can do and where you can go. And so, for example, if you are interested in going to medical school, let's say, you can apply to programs where from high school, you can get into these programs instead of doing a four-year program in, in undergrad and then going to four-year medical school program. That's eight years. So some of the programs that they have available, it's a six-year program. And it's mm -hmm. a combined program of you can get either your BA or your BS and then be, you know, go directly to medical school. And the, the upside of that is that you don't have to apply to medical school if you are in those programs. You just directly go into the medical school programs. And so I wish I knew that because it's such a headache having to go through four years of undergrad and then having to apply to all these medical schools waiting. Did I get in? Did I not get in? 
And some of the schools who do offer like a, a six-year program is like Howard. Howard University has a six-year program for a BS slash MD program. Uh, instead of eight years, the traditional eight years that I did, you could do a six-year program. So just, you know, these are some of the things that might be available out there. Um, if you go to perfectmed.com, it will give you a list of all of the programs that do either a BA MD or a BS MD programs. And so, you know, if anybody's interested in that, I know a couple of the students from Gambia, uh, Gambian kids, they were interested in doing these types of programs. So I'm telling all the kids, listen, you can actually cut down the amount of time you spend if you are interested in going to medical school. You don't have to do a whole four year and then a four year of of med school, you can, you know, do a shortcut by doing a combined degree, which I wasn't aware of. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, Dr. Nafi, before we hand over to, to um, Dr. Henan Juf, I just wanted to say that I know it's a lot of information. This, mm -hmm. this episode is definitely one you want to listen to more than once. I think Henan has brought us a lot of information. We have shared our personal journeys of, you know, how we got mm -hmm. to where we were to college. And so I encourage the parents, this is not a one-time listen. And if you listen to it and you feel like it's a good episode, also sit with your teenager, mm -hmm. let them listen to this episode and hear it, not from you, but from us, because sometimes it's important for kids to hear from somebody else other than mom and dad, right? Cause you're mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, my mom. Oh my God, my dad. But when you hear <laughs> other people who are regurgitating the same information, then it kind of, it's a, it's a nerve with you. Like, well, maybe mom is right. And Henan, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I know we've gone over an hour. We've kept you longer than we wanted to, but I'm thinking we might need a part two mm -hmm. so that we can also get into more of the nuances of, you know, while you're in college, what are the things that you should do to make sure that you're successful mm -hmm. to get the to graduation? Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. because I think that also is a process. So Henan, I'll pass it on to you to just give us your... Um, nuggets, as Dr. Nafi asked, for some of the websites that are available mm -hmm. where parents and kids can go in to find information about scholarships mm -hmm. or just the process, and then just give us your parting thoughts. Sure, no problem. Um, I, I, you, you mentioned one of the websites that I would have mentioned, which was fastweb.com. It is mm -hmm. a con concise place where you can not just apply, but also find other resources that relate to financial resources and housing when you move here. Mm -hmm. um, another one that is good that I usually recommend is ICanAffordCollege.com. Um, it is. It started out in California, but it's now making its way all the way to the Midwest. So if you're going into some of the Colorado schools, Seattle, etc., it's a great uh, website to go to. Um, the interestingly enough, places like SallyMay.com. It is a, a place that uh, a, um, a company that you know people use to get student loans. But because they use they provide you with student loans, the federal government has required them to find resources for people that can't afford it. So you will find a plethora of things there that will actually tell you how to fund your college education, even if you don't take out loans through them specifically. The last one that I'll mention is for minority scholarships. The one that I actually use is called unigo.com, U-N-I-G-O. Um, a lot of my students are actually, we don't have as many HBCUs on the east, on the West Coast, so we're looking mm -hmm. for opportunities for them to come to the East Coast. And so that's the one that I usually recommend to them 
um, mm-hmm. in terms of figuring out how they will move and you know upend their lives to come to the East Coast and get a great education. Mm-hmm. Um, something that you mentioned that I really want to hone in before I sign off is that we we believe that when we go to college that the people at the college are, will have our best interest at heart including the instructors, including the counselors, including whoever it is that you meet. Mm-hmm. That is not always the case. Not mm-hmm. everybody there is loves what they do or is going to give you all <laughs> the options. Um, whether you're somebody that's just coming from Africa or yes, mom and dad are born and raised here or citizens and mm-hmm. now you're going to college, understand that your guidance counselor will only give you what they think. Mm-hmm. You, you better you speak on it. Advoc- yeah, you need to advocate for yourself about what it is you want to do and keep pushing. If that counselor doesn't work for you, go look for another one. When you get to college, you, you're not tracked with one specific counselor. You can go from that one person you meet the first day in orientation to a transfer counselor to a career counselor. I went through three counselors until I found the one that I that I identified with who happens to still be my mentor today. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that Layla said in, when he saw me, he said, I see more. Why are you um, selling yourself short? There are these mm-hmm. other opportunities that you can mm-hmm. do. And so that's all I'm saying is that if you find the right person, that right person will advocate for you and don't mm-hmm. take no for an answer. In the United States of America, do not take a no for an answer. If you want to do something they, and you find a dean like me, we mm-hmm. will listen and try to figure out a plan B for you to make it happen. <laughs> Um, the last thing the last thing i'll say is i'm always happy to come back i think you guys have created a space where we can provide resources to students to parents to folks that just need to know because the information's there but not necessarily readily available and so i'm happy to be you know a way to to get that information to folks and if you want to provide them with my email or other ways to Mm -hmm. contact me i'm happy to, to you know to be a vehicle to get that information to folks that really need it you know fantastic Thank you so much, Zanan, awesome. for coming on today. We really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I think what we can do is when we air out the episode, just share your email address at that time so people can get in contact with you. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank, thank you so, so much. No, this was definitely um, fantastic. And, you yeah. you know, the fun part about the whole thing is you made me relive some of my experiences in college <laughs> while you guys are talking. I'm thinking... <laughs> We're going to have to do another one. I had a good four-year college experience. experience. (laughs) I really did. So it just just brought back some good memories. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll have episode two of of what not to do in college, part two. Count, count me in any time. Um, my partner's going to walk in and she's going to be like, you are smiling from ear to ear. I'm like, well, that was on my favorite podcast. So <laughs> thank you again. Oh, for, thank, you um, so much. thank you so much. I, we yeah, appreciate you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you guys okay. have a great rest of your day. Thank, thank you. you. Till next time, you guys. Okay. Oh, bye. <laughs>